Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Daisy Cousins Presents. I'm Daisy Cousins, and I am thrilled to be right here on ADH TV every week, twice a week. And boy, do we have a wonderful show for you tonight, my last show of 2023. Joining me later in the program is one of the creators of the phenomenal Pauline Hansen's Please Explain Cartoons to talk about their inauguration, their reception, and where he sees the series going in the future. But first, political debate is integral to understanding the views of those you disagree with. While there is, of course, value in having discussions with people on your own proverbial team, it is very important to engage with content and people who will present you with an opposing viewpoint. Nowadays, that probably doesn't happen as much as it should. Politics has become so vile and personal over the last few years, not too many people have the cojones to brave the slings and arrows of a fiery public political argument especially when social media trolls make mincemeat of those they don't like, sometimes for days afterwards. However, one individual who is more than happy to stand on the front line and weather the storm of political disagreement is my delightful guest tonight. She recently took part in a debate on a platform called Jubilee, which hosts a series called Middle Ground. This particular debate was conservative versus liberal lesbians. And needless to say, there were moments where it got quite heated. I include everybody's experience. I just said that Absolutely multiple times. Not. When you You're think thinking about yourself you and your experience. That's privilege. Exactly, I have That's to. Privilege. I speak for a huge so part of our I. community. So do I. Okay. So do I. I don't think so when you're trying to say that we have enough protections and, and enough I, equality where we are. I just said No, you're what, not talking about I said about, what don't we have. I'm asking what don't we have? Do you think that we do not deserve all the same rights as everyone else? We and that we can't, we should not keep progressing to get that? We have all the same rights as everyone else. And that's privilege. Okay, cool. Thank you. But people not in the community <laughs> also don't have rights. I've been trying to make. But people you not in the community. And to, to actually, think that is privilege because not well, everybody gets to live we, the same way as you. Tell me what rights we don't have. What laws that we don't have. Nevertheless, the lovely lady I'll be speaking to tonight put on a stellar performance, and I am so thrilled she's joining us for an encore appearance. She is a social media commentator and influencer with over 700,000 subscribers on YouTube, and she has never been afraid to tell it like it is. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the fabulously fierce, the delightfully defiant, the perfectly principled Ariel Scarcella. Ariel Scarcella, you beautiful human being. It is so fabulous to have you on the show. How are you this evening? Fabulous, all the way from Florida. Freedom-loving Florida. Freedom-loving Florida with freedom-loving descendants. Oh my God, I'm desperate to come back. I, I really want to come back. I, I felt the, I, I felt the sort of, the, the actual sort of freedom and the liberal, like, you know, nice liberalism while I was there last time. The um, actual let, let, live and let live, yes. The actual live and let live. So yes. I loved your Jubilee debate. Um, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, as I said in my intro, I'm 
so admiring of you that you are happy to front up and you know face the slings and arrows um, of political debate, which does get so personal uh, nowadays. Um, and you raised a really interesting point during the debate that the so-called you know conservative lesbians on the panel, which included yourself, um, would actually count as old school liberals. And as you put it, new age conservatives are the old school liberals and moderates. And if leftists can change the definition of woman, well, why can't we change what conservatism means? Can you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, I mean, I think that when I was identifying as a leftist, it made sense back then. But then the left kept going further and further to the left, Mm. so much so that they kind of became far right, whereas they're actually not feminists, they're actually homophobic, they're actually transphobic, they're actually making fun and taking advantage of people with mental illnesses. Yeah. (laughs) So... They kept, yeah, they kept moving further and further left. I kind of stood where I was and my friend Colin, I don't know if you follow him, but he, mm. he's, his, uh, did you ever see his little animation, his little, his little drawing of the person going further, the, the group going further and further to the left. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. the guy, the guy that stayed in, yeah, the guy that stayed <laughs> in the middle is kind of like what's going on. And then he winds up on the far, like not on the far right, but he winds up on the right and the conservatives are laughing at him like, haha, look at all the people on the left. And now you're considered a Nazi because you're with us. Yeah. But that's kind of really the truth of what happens. It's like, they keep going further and further left again, so much so that they become far right. None of which, None of the having none of the values that I actually believe in, none of the morals. And they redefined the word liberal to to really mean leftist Mm. and conservatism. We we haven't we haven't figured out a new word for moderate yet because moderate doesn't sound cool. Progressivism sounds cool. Conservatism doesn't sound cool. Right. (laughs) We have to find a way. It's true. It's just bad marketing on conservatives part or just non leftist part. Mm. non-leftism we need to figure out a way for people to understand that you don't have to fully agree with the right to not to be against the left which is kind of where you and I are at I feel like Mm, yeah, I mean, you and I have a, a, a lot of um, very similar opinions. I mean, I went through my feminist, my misguided feminist stage for about, I don't know, a year or so there, a few years back. I mean, we're, we're all allowed to be wrong once or twice um, in our lives. I mean, I've, I've always been fiscally conservative, um, for instance, and that was actually a point that Becky raised on the panel. I really liked yes. Becky. She said of the leftist lesbians who, when they were talking, were saying, oh, they were talking all about, you know, We don't understand how you could be a conservative and a lesbian. And Becky's like, yeah. Yeah, Becky was like, well, listen, how I identify my sexual orientation, how I feel doesn't necessarily come into play when it comes to, you know, how I think the government should spend my tax dollars. If I think the border should be open, if I think kids should be transing themselves. Mm. And it, it sounds like a common sense thing, but people cannot get it out of their heads. This, you know, it's the two party system. Democrats, Republicans, conservative, liberal, progressive, whatever you want to call it, straight, gay, black, white, like it's become very pun intended, black and white in this case. Mm. And the leftists cannot understand how somebody that's one of those black and white things can have differing views. Yeah. As another person that's a black and white thing. Yeah, I mean, the identity politics is, is so toxic. And we actually have a little clip I'd like to play of that that moment in the debate. It was that moment where the question was, I don't understand how a lesbian can be conservative. Let's have a look at the clip. And, like, being conservative and, like, being Republican, I think, are also two separate things. And, like, being conservative, mm-hmm. like, truly is about, like, 
you know, staying where you are or like keeping things similar, whereas yeah. like, like progressives like want to progress and like move things forward and like being the people are Republican for all kinds of reasons. Um, but I think that it is interesting that people can be in the queer, queer community and not be interested in progress and change, like especially as a, like so many conservatives have been so anti-LGBT for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I say the same. I think there's a difference between moderate and conservative and, you know, just wanting to live your life a certain way because I know a lot of, I would say, more moderate lesbians that don't want to partake in the prides and do things like that. They just want to live their life with their wife and their kids and that's very different because nowadays conservative is combined now with Republican in my eyes. And so when you're a Republican lesbian, you're, yeah, you're against the, our community moving forward and progressing and you're also aligning with the oppressor. So look, the impression I got from all of that was that they seem to think conservatism is simply about keeping things social. the same. Yeah, yeah. And also that- <laughs> and, and, a so, and more of a social aspect, which yeah. it can be, but at the same time, it's not the entirety of, of it, like a Republican isn't necessarily, a, like I vote Republican, I don't consider myself a full conservative. Mm -hmm. Like I, I call myself a conservative lesbian just because the word conservatism, in my opinion, kind of is the new definition, is the old school liberal. But with the old school defini definition of conservative, I definitely don't fit that in any sense of the word, right? I talk about sex, mm -hmm. I'm gay, I'm pro-choice. So there are many, there are many ways I don't fit into that category, but leftists will will tell me that I don't know, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say I don't remember yeah no I know that. it's like no 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 god yeah. no no I know exactly what you mean yeah leftists will say um conservatives and leftists like they mean two different teams like but they when they say oh I'm I, I love it when leftists say oh I am just so far to the left like you won't find anyone further to the left than me and I'm thinking uh well Stalin was about as far to the left as you can get I wouldn't be that's that's, that's not a brag but what that's they not a compliment that's right. not a compliment no what they mean in their heads though is I'm really really moral. I'm so moral that you like, you know, you couldn't be more moral than me. So they mean left wing right. as moral and conservative as immoral. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. Yes. Because they, and it, it I, I really go back and forth on some of the issues. Cause like even abortion, I can understand the moral aspect of letting a woman choose, but I also understand the, the moral aspect from the conservative side that it is a life. And I agree with both of those things. So it makes it difficult, which is why I'm kind of in the middle with, with most arguments and I'm a moderate, but I do think, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. I think that leftists really do believe, and I think everybody believes, right, that they are in the, that they are more morally correct than the other side. That goes without saying. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, nobody wants to think that they are evil, that they're a bad person. Everybody mm. thinks that they're here to do good. Yeah, or yeah. That they're doing good. No, I think so. And I think possibly the, the difference nowadays with one of the differences anyway between, you know, quote unquote leftists and quote unquote conservatives is in like sort of the broader church, including sort of the old school liberals and the moral and the and the moderates who identify with a number of conservative arguments is that that conservative faction doesn't get as emotionally attached to their politics as leftists. I mean, there's that saying on the left that the personal is political. Um, when you were on the panel, did you get that vibe from the left-wing lesbians? They were so emotionally attached to, to what they oh believed. Oh, my God. 
they were they were well they were attached to what they believe because they believe what they believe is their identity and they're attached to their identity right mm-hmm. they they are taught or they believe and they, then they are taught that be, let's say with with amber she's be, being a black masculine lesbian is her identity which yes it is it's not an identity it's, it's just what she is but they want to call it identity and that's going to because she identifies that or because she is that it's supposed to affect her views on everything whereas mm. people people that are not on the left say yes this is who i am but it's not necessarily what i believe mm. yeah exactly I think, I think it's two different ways of looking at the world yeah, exactly, and I I, th- I think it's um it's it's unhealthy I think to get very emotionally attached to your politics because in a democracy sometimes your side's gonna lose and that's why we see you know leftists going insane for instance when Hillary Clinton lost you know they right. went insane when Brexit happened even though that was sort of cross political but it was mostly people on the left and whereas conservatives mm-hmm. we go oh that sucked but look you know I, we hate government anyway so <laughs> I guess we'll see there's next other time. things there's other things to pay attention to that that's kind of I feel like how they base their entire world it feels like on their self-validate their their validation i I shouldn't say self-validation their own the way the outside world sees them which Mm. is not healthy Mm. and they're seeing themselves as victims and oppressed and when you think that way it never in my opinion never leads to something positive because you're always in a negative mindset Mm, mm. Oh, that's absolutely that's absolutely true, and that's why we see you know surveys saying that mental illness on is much more prevalent amongst self-identified leftists than than people on the right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned Amber. Um, you know, she was the kind of more quote unquote masculine. I think she looked very feminine, but she had you know the cool the dreadlocks and stuff. You know, she identifies as mask. Um, yeah. That she there was a bit of a discussion, particularly by her, of one of my least favorite left wing buzzwords, which was. Pre- privilege in the debate and Amber pushed um, most of it for some reason. Um, We've got a quick sample of that as well. Let's have a look at this clip. It's very necessary to put these protections in in place so we can live like everyone else. But we do live like everybody else. There's no, no, I don't. You being able to say that is privilege. Absolutely. No, I'm not trying to for you. It is. People are homophobic to me too, but it doesn't affect my life. I wasn't. I don't that. let that. Yeah, you I did think say just, that. No, no, no. Um, it's a privilege to not understand every but other people's. But how do you know I don't understand? Because you're asking me the questions. Well, yours is different than hers, and hers, and hers, exactly right? So, <laughs> so right? how can you I tell me I'm privileged? How can you feel safe? How can you tell me I'm privileged? I live when in Florida, and I feel very safe. Uh, you show up differently than I do. Now, you made a, you made a follow-up video about this debate, um, and you said mm-hmm. that they actually cut out a whole chunk of that privilege discussion. Um, can you the tell most us, important part. Yeah, well, what, what happened like, in that discussion, and why do you think the producers chose to cut it? Oh, I mean, they cut it because, I mean, for the most part, they, they did a good job editing. I think mm-hmm. they left most of the important parts in. That was one of the most important parts of that prompt, though, was the whole privilege i forget what the prompt was but it was when amber started going it's privilege i i said i said excuse me your dad is a multi-million dollar nfl or was a multi-million dollar nfl football player professional <laughs> nfl football player you and i and i i spoke about this in my follow-up video i said you went to an all-girl catholic school for the majority of your life i went to catholic school for the first seven years of my life and then my parents couldn't afford it anymore and i had to go to public school so that's that's one privilege i was no longer afforded in a lot, she's lived in, in LA in an expensive neighborhood her whole life, you know, mm. in WeHo. She lives in WeHo now, I'm assuming, somewhere over there. She lives in one of the most, progress, I mean, progressive in some ways, but also regressive in others, place in the country. She's born and raised there. 
And she has the nerve to keep calling people out on their privilege. And the funniest part of that, which I think they cut out, they might have put it in the extended cut, was when she kept coming, when Amber kept coming for Sasha saying, well, it's privileged that you even can think that way. Mm. And Sasha's like, what are you talking about? We're the same race. We have similar experiences. We're both gay. Well, she's been, and Amber kept saying, you're privileged, you're privileged. And she, you, you, know, you know, the fact that you're able to think a certain way makes you privileged. And Sasha said, you can change the way you think. Like, how is that <laughs> You're in control of your own brain. Like, and, and Amber had nothing to say. And I think they cut that part out too. And it was very, very important part. Because it's the truth. Like, how about you take accountability for your own, for your own actions and your own thoughts? Because your thoughts create your life. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. It, it, that is a, a, a crucial point there that they cut out um, they about cut out, Amber. Yeah. yeah, that her father's like a multi-million dollar NFL Of course player. they cut it out because it goes against their narrative, right? Exactly, because Jubilee, which hosted the video, is, is seriously left-wing. Like, it's it's extraordinary they even hold these debates. Um, and yeah. that reminds me, actually, when you mention, like, she's super, super, super progressive, but, you know, rich father, you know, private school, like nice neighborhood. There was a study that came out in 2018 and I'd like to see an updated version and it was called Hidden Tribes and it split America's political landscape into seven tribes from like, you know, progressive to, um, you know, very conservative. And it found that progressives, which only made up 8% of the population, were the most likely of all of the demographics to earn 100,000 thousand dollars or 100%. more a year so yep. we have these very affluent people claiming they somehow have less privilege than less affluent people can you tell me how that works because they go it's about about, about race and they they find other ways i mean to, let me say that again to me the easiest definition of privileges is class right yes. classism absolutely it's a very real thing and it, and it affects people regardless of their sexual orientation, gender, nationality, whatever. It is multicultural. And to say that it's more based on their race or gender or sexuality is is easier, but it's not the truth. And that's the that's what leftists will continuously go to to claim to claim oppression points. Not the fact that Amber went to a private school, had all this money, lived in an affluent <laughs> community, all these things, where she was she was supposedly bullied for being masculine. Like, okay, we all were as lesbians. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's not a privileged thing. That just that's how it is, how it was back then. The fact that she still has her father, I don't. And I spoke about that in the ba- the debate as well. They mm-hmm. cut that out. My dad had cancer twice when he was when he was younger, and then died when he was 55 and I was 23. So it's over like 12 years ago. Mm. And that's a big part of, of privilege too, is, is, you know, broken. I don't want to say broken families that like that my parents were divorced or something or that we were a single parent household, but broken in a sense that it does make a difference financially now. Mm. Right. That we, we no longer have the, the sole breadwinner on our family. When I was 22, 23 years old, I was just graduating college. And then all of a sudden I have all these loans and I didn't have, and I, and I had to work my ass off to pay them off and to also be able to have my brother still be in school. My mother hopefully was going to retire soon, which she did, thank God. I mean, everything is fine and, and, and good now, but people don't take that into account. Mm. And I think classism is the truest divider, but it's also the one they don't want to admit to mm. because... People like having money. Like, they like having money. You think these leftists don't like it? I'm sure that they don't actually want socialism. They just want the, the, they want to be, they want to act like 
they want everybody for equity and that kind of thing. But they don't really want it. Mm. All these, all these, well, we saw that when it, when, when the, who was it, DeSantis or the governor of Texas, whatever it was, t- took all the immigrants and threw them to, 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 uh, to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> to Martha's, I almost said Cape May, to Martha's Vineyard. And it's like all these leftists, oh, all of a sudden they don't want them there. You know, the privileged do not actually like that, mm. but they'll never say that. They'll yep. never say it. They'll never admit it, which is why as a New Yorker, I can't stand people like that. I want you to be upfront and honest rather than be nice and be lying. Mm. Oh, that, that's so, that's so true. And I so agree with you that, like, uh, I've said this for a while, that the, the great divider in society isn't race or gender or sexuality, it's class. Money. Yeah, it's money, money. absolutely. And if you look at, um, and we have a similar situation in Australia with um, some of our Indigenous population, but if you look at, say, the situation of, oh, in general, of course, there are outliers, but, say, black Americans, for instance, who tend to, um, you know, have lower socioeconomic status um, and get sort of stuck in that cycle and, and you know... Um, People will point to racism as an example for those problems. But I would argue that really um, race in that situation is incidental. It's that what comes first that creates those um, communities is the low so- socioeconomic situation. Would you agree with that? Yes. Mm. I mean, we see it all the time. In, I mean, especially in New York City, right? We see, I mean, there's the hood and then there's like the ghetto. Yeah, you you could be from the hood, but not be black. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> like there are there are very poor neighborhoods in New York City that are like white trash neighborhoods. People would call them mm. right, but and it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with class. Mm. There are also ghetto areas where it's a lot of Hispanic and black people, maybe a little Asian here and there. But it's the same thing. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with with class. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's astounding that the left, which, you know, comes from Marxism, and Marx was all about class and capitalism, they've just abandoned the whole idea of economic class. But I think you make a great point. They, they don't want to talk about, about, about money because, generally speaking, they've got more money than most people. So it's like, oh, well, they didn't know. Yeah, of course they have. Now, I and they feel guilty about it. They feel guilty about having the money. That's why they're c- constantly touting all these things that they don't actually agree with because they feel terrible about being white. They feel guilty about having money. But they don't want to do anything they can't do or don't want to do anything about those things. They don't actually want to change the way they exist in the world or or they can't. You can't change your race, obviously. I mean, you can, according to some people. <laughs> but mm. um, I mean, what, the truth is they, they should just be OK with being rich white people. <laughs> honestly, honestly, if you worked hard for it, if your parents worked hard for it, as long as you didn't take advantage of somebody for yeah. that money, why is there such a stigma around being wealthy mm. and mm. having money? Like I don't, it that doesn't, everyone's supposed to be a starving artist. Like I don't get it. Mm. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I've, I've, the thing is like, if you're, if you have money, and I, I'm going to quote Leonardo DiCaprio's Wolf of Wall Street character, who I know was a real person, but he said, money makes you a better person. You know, you can give to the charity or the political party of your choice. If you're a rich person and you feel guilty about having money, don't get on the internet and scream about how you're like one-eighth, you know, Native American and therefore <laughs> you're oppressed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, huh? Right. Elizabeth Warren. Um, go right. go and give. Go and volunteer. Go and give your money to, to, to charity. You know, there's lots of ways of assuaging your privilege guilt, I think. Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, look, um, I want to talk to you about a very interesting point you made in the debate, and we actually discussed this uh, last time you um, came on my show. Um, you made a point quite emphatically about using the term genital preference instead of oh, sexual it. orientation. Yeah. Can you explain why it's important when dismantling the arguments of leftists to talk about orientation rather than preference? I mean, most leftists will will try to persuade you into, into seeing their way of uh, it's persuading to see their arguments by changing words and gaslighting you. Right? Yeah. They change the definition of words, and one of those words that they changed the definition of is preference. Mm. The word preference in the dictionary, and as we know, societally, colloquially, I can't say that word. Colloquially, <laughs> colloquially. I can't say it. <laughs> yes, I can't say it. Is it means you have a choice, right? Well, I, I like chocolate ice cream, but I really prefer vanilla. Okay, so it, you can like both, but you prefer one over the other. That's mm. not the same thing as sexual orientation, especially, or not especially, specifically monosexual people, like straight people and gay people. You don't prefer one genitalia over the other. You just only like one. <laughs> mm. So when they're saying you have a genital preference, number one, you're suggesting that sexual orientation is a choice. And number two, you're gaslighting somebody into saying that your sexual or that their sexual orientation is is inherently transphobic, ah. and that's that's hundred percent actual homophobia or even straight phobia, if that's a thing. Monophobia, you know, <laughs> mono monosexual phobia, yeah. Now, that's a really interesting point because I remember I mentioned I think sexual preference I said in our in our last discussion and you said oh hang on a minute you know think of it this way and I thought it does it mm -hmm. makes it makes total sense if you're trying to make the argument that some that a lesbian not wanting to date a trans woman is somehow transphobic because of the genitals involved then of course saying it's a preference indicates it's a choice and therefore oh well you must be you must be transphobic like you're you're just transphobic you don't really see them as as what they see themselves blah, blah, blah. no i don't sorry <laughs> like i don't like i'm not gonna you're not gonna gaslight me into saying that i have to be sexually attracted to somebody that i'm not mm. just Which, because they feel a certain way that's not that's that's homophobia and i and i will i will die on that hill i really will and mm. I, I said that i think in my the last video that i posted i i will die on that hill mm. it's, I, it's 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 one it's just another example of the left going so far to the left that they're back on the right uh, and, and the far right has, you know, homophobic tendencies as well. Oh, absolutely. And um, it, I think it's also it's also terribly misogynistic because if you think of what the left, like, quote-unquote feminists have been saying for ages is that women shouldn't be pressured into sleeping with males that they're not mm -hmm. attracted to. Like, that's been... And, that you know, they talk about, you know, what rape culture, you know, as if, as if that's a thing. But they say, you know, just because right. a guy buys you a drink doesn't mean you're obligated to sleep with them, for instance, if you're not attracted to them, and you know, which is true. But it seems right. to me that with trans women who are male and some many of which still have male genitalia, that's pressuring women, in this case lesbians, to have sex with biological men that they don't want to have sex with. How can these women still call themselves feminists? That's why I was on the previous Jubilee episode, which was last December, which was the feminist versus anti-feminist. And they were like, how can you be a lesbian and a woman and be an anti-feminist? <laughs> I'm like, because y'all changed the definition of feminism. Mm. I don't agree with today's feminism. That's why I agree with the old school feminists, not today's feminists. Mm. Absolutely. I, Again, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, com it comes down to them changing the words and, and, yeah, it comes down to them changing the words and then trying to convince everybody that 
they're the right ones in, yeah. in the conversation. And that they're, they're, they're the ones that are being progressive and not us. Yeah, exactly. And they're not like massively gaslighting everyone. No, it was always like that. What are you talking about? Like I've had I've had people say to me, like when I've said, look, I used to call myself a feminist, but I don't anymore because I don't agree with today's mm. feminists. I, I'm more of an egalitarian. And they literally right. say to me, oh, but feminism hasn't changed. Feminism is just, and I'm like, are you, are you, are you on drugs? Like seriously. And Ariel, the thing about redefining all these words is that it can actually be, I, I think, and is, is getting dangerous um, for LG and B, so lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. Yes. I mean, something Becky, and I really liked Becky. I thought she was terrific, like I said. Becky's um, very intelligent. Yeah, like super smart. Much much well, much well, more well-spoken than I am. No, oh, I <laughs> I'm, thought... I'm, a, I'm a better writer. I'm not as, I'm not as, I'm a New Yorker, so we're not really necessarily good with speaking <laughs> in public. But like, we're, we're witty and we're quick. But the speaking eloquently, not our strongest suit. Well, I thought you were witty, quick, and eloquent on that panel, Ariel. No, do, do, do not undersell yourself. Uh, but what struck me uh, from Becky was this warning she gave at the start of the debate. Let's have a look at this clip. It's difficult because, you know, I think what was once like a very loving and accepted community mm -hmm. has pushed so far to the left that, you know, we're seeing this massive pendulum swing that is coming back the other direction that is going to put our entire community, unfortunately, in danger because it already has. It, it already has because it has gone so far to the left rather than being a good common sense middle ground that now people who did not used to carry a prejudice against us or have an issue with our community are suddenly finding themselves to have prejudice against the LGBTQ community. We have prejudice against ourselves. That's, that's true. Even <laughs> yes. I'm developing, developing a prejudice. Yeah, like I can't point. stand lesbians now. <laughs> Have you found that to be true? People who formerly didn't have a prejudice now do have a prejudice thanks to um, the regressive left? Absolutely, but I also think the opposite is true. I think that there are more people that are be becoming understanding of the sane part of the LGBTs, meaning transsexual community, because of people that, are, that have been outspoken over the last six, seven years, like me, Buck Angel, Blair, Marcus, um, Jamie, Gays Against Groomers, that whole group. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that were like, wow, I thought these people were crazy until I found your channel. So I think the damage control is still going on. And, but I still, I really do still believe that the far left are the loudest and they're getting the most views with the youth. And mm -hmm. I think that's a big problem. Mm, I, th I think it's a big problem too. And, and can I say, um, you know, the damage control like you and Blair White and Buck Angel and, and Gays Against Crewmers and that whole whole crowd, you get very much maligned by uh, LGBT people on the left. But I, I can guarantee everyone that you guys are doing much more for LGBT acceptance and rights than those extremists on the left are. But if anything, that they are taking it backwards. Um, now, Ariel, I can imagine over the years um, you've had friends who have cut you off for your political views. I mean, mo most people have who, who come out and say, actually, I think in a more conservative way, and my friends are like, I'm never talk to you again. Um, you mentioned yep. during the debate that one of the left-wing lesbians, Amber, who was on the panel, was a former friend of yours who cut yes. you off for that reason. Um, did you find it awkward doing the panel with her considering that history? No, because I, again, I, I don't know if it's the Italian American in me or if it's the New Yorker <laughs> or, or, or if it's just my personality, but I, I am not a fake B-I-T-C-H. Like I, I will tell you to your face exactly how I feel. And I didn't want to call her out specifically because I didn't know, I, I kind of left it out in the open. Like, you know, 
there were some people that I went on vacation with and that were really good friends of mine. And all of a sudden I voted for Trump and boom, mm. you know, and she, it, I left the door open for her to come through and, and she did good for her. Mm. Uh, at the same time though, she kept, you know, calling, calling the white privilege card or whatever, or the femme, the femme privilege card, which is, I don't even think that's a real thing in my opinion, because I think feminine lesbians would get harassed much more than butch lesbians. That's just my opinion. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Cause they get fetishized. A hundred percent. Mm. And also, but, oh no, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to say, but that she's probably going to say the opposite. But <laughs> I mean, both both situations happen. But at the same time, I I would think that feminine lesbians get get hit on and harassed way more. Mm, yeah, I think, and I've known feminine lesbians actually who have told me like they were a couple a little while ago, and they said they they have to come out every day, like, because when they're together, people, just, they just assume that they're friends. And mm -hmm. they were in an Uber together once, and the Uber driver cottoned on that they were in a relationship and was just disgusting, like, disgusting to them, like, you know, harassed them yeah. and objectified them and got, you know, it was, it's just gross. So, yeah, she wants to talk about it. Also, I don't actually think she's that mask. You know, she looks, she actually I don't looks, think she is either. I don't think she's <laughs> don't think she's that mask. I mean, oh, my God. There yeah. are some lesbians that legit look like like straight up pun intended dudes, mm. and I, I, I'm like, yeah, I don't think Amber is that that masculine at all. But no. again, she has this idea of you know victimhood and oppression in her head, and she's always going to find reasons. Like she, she she's at this point, if she hadn't unfriended me, I would have probably unfriended her. Not because <laughs> she's a leftist, but because she's insuff insufferable. Insu yeah. insufferable, insufferable, insufferable. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and you don't you don't want those people around you. Um, now, Ariel, just before we go, um, this isn't related to the debate, but I've actually wanted to ask you this for a while now because it puzzles me. I'm thinking maybe you can help me answer this question. Queers for Palestine, how is that a thing? Like, how, how, how please, please, how, how can you have from, Queers for Palestine? Because from their perspective, I think it's ridiculous, obviously, mm -hmm. but from their perspective, their whole thing, and people have told me this, is, well, we don't have to we don't have to have our own rights to believe in somebody else's. Mm. Like I kind of get that, but at the same time, like I come from an old school background. Like if you're not my friend and you're not being nice to me, why should I be nice to you? Mm. Not that I don't think those, not that I don't think those people should have rights. I'm just saying like, I'm not going to go out of my way to fight for somebody that would kill me. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, like, come exactly. on, like, that's, I understand it from their perspective, but I think it's, I think it's disgusting. I, I think it's stupid, actually. Not disgusting. I think it's just stupid. Mm. Well, I actually, I, I actually, sense, now yeah. you explain it like that, I do, you make, like, they make sense. I do understand that reasoning, but I, I, I still think it's like, I have to support the current thing on the left, which is now Palestine, because I'll get horribly yes. bullied if I don't. So, that's yeah. All, it, it's, it's, yeah. It's definitely the new uh, black box. Yeah. Or black, black square. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I support Palestine, even though they want to, you know, punish me for being gay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Throw just over here. Arios Castella, this has been glorious to have you as usual. Um, tell everyone before you go uh, where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at YouTube.com/slash Ariel. Yes, and everyone, you should subscribe to her channel because it is wonderful. Arios Castella. Sending so much love to you across the sea. Have a very Merry Christmas, and I hope we see you in the new year. Yes, come visit me in Miami. Love to, love to. Well, it's no secret that the left has a stranglehold on culture. 
It's been that way for decades now, which is why it can be so difficult for conservatives and right-wingers to cut through all the noise and reach younger voters. See, from my observation, what moves people rightwards if they don't have a background of social conservatism are economic issues. Namely, you move through your 20s, you get a full-time job that's beyond an entry-level salary, get married, have a child, and possibly own a house. So while you might be earning more money, you also accrue considerably more expenses from having a child and living expenses, whether that's paying a mortgage or paying higher rent because you can no longer survive in a one-bedroom apartment. Lo and behold, you realize how much tax you're paying and how much easier life would be if you could keep even a little bit more of your own income rather than the government siphoning off a big chunk of it every week. That's enough to make anyone fiscally conservative. However, nowadays, people are getting married and having children later, if at all. Wages are not growing at any sort of pace, and owning a house is, for a lot of people under 40, a seemingly impossible dream. Without those financial incentives to move rightwards, people are staying leftist for longer. And as politics is downstream from culture, they have every left-wing cultural force in the world moving them towards neo-Marxism. This is why it is so important for conservatives to create culture rather than sitting back and letting the left run riot with it. American online news and commentary outlet The Daily Wire has been doing a stellar job over the last few years releasing feature-length films, including their latest comedy Lady Ballers about trans women in sport. And fortunately, we have our own iteration of conservative culture in Australia with the brilliant series of animation episodes by One Nation, Pauline Hanson's Please Explain. The Please Explain series is a hilarious political satire of the Australian political landscape, featuring all your favourite and least favourite pollies, from Scott Morrison to Peter Dutton to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. For those of you who haven't ever seen one of these episodes, here's a sample. Right, settle down. Let's make a start. I'll just take the roll. Josh Reinberg? Here. Matthew Canavan? Ah, uh, here. Barnaby Joyce? Yep, here, miss. Anthony Albanese? Yes, miss. Anthony Albanese is here. Okay, Bill Shorten? Bill, put that knife away. And you too, Tanya. Peter Dutton? Where's Porter? Christian Porter's suspended, Peter. Okay, Craig Kelly? Craig, no phones in class. Who are you texting? Nobody. Adam Band? Uh, yes, I'm here on Aboriginal land and I pay respect. No. Oh, shut up. It's just the role, Adam. Always was, always will be. Bob Catter? <laughs> well, <laughs> of course I'm here. Scott Morrison? Scott Morrison? Where's Scott? Hello, hard douchebags. <laughs> Late again, Scott. Yeah, sure am. It's me, ScoMo. Classic ScoMo. What's up? Whoop. <laughs> All right. Yeah, ScoMo. <laughs> Elbow. Whoops. <laughs> ScoMo. That's enough. Sit down, Scott. Uh, yep, yep. Sorry, miss. Yep, ScoMo. All right. Over the next few months, I'm going to teach you about Australian politics. Am I understood? Yes, yes Miss Senator Hanson. Now listen closely, because at the end of this term, there will be an election. Oh. An election? Oh, get And tonight, we are fortunate enough to have one of the creators of Please Explain on the show to talk about this incredible series. 
Welcome to the show, Mark Nicholson. Mark, it is so fantastic to have you on the show this evening. Are you doing well? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate uh, the time to have a chat. No, no, my pleasure. I'm, I'm very excited to, to pick your brain. I, I love the Please Explain cartoons. Um, so what inspired the creation of the series? It's, it's, it's quite a funny story, actually, because um, we, as a, an animation studio, had been making clips for uh, online, making little sketches for a while. And it only uh, maybe three or four years after we made one particular one, uh, James Ashby, who's the chief of staff at One Nation, was actually on the toilet watching <laughs> it. Um, and he went, huh, this could actually work for, um, for Australian politics. And uh, he gave us a call. And pretty much we hit it off from that, from that first phone call onwards, really. Um, and it was that merging of um, satire, but with something educational. It was for the federal election um, mm. two years ago, so 12 months ago, really. Um, so it was for that. And it was, it was merging those two things together, um, which I actually think at its, at its absolute core is, is, um, is a really powerful thing to, to do. It wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just throwing haymakers at, at any politician and for any reason, it was actually at its core educational. So that was something that we could um, absolutely uh, stand by and, and get around. But since then, it, it's, just, um, it's just grown. And especially as we go into this second season now as well, we've just continued to step it up and, and get sillier and wackier, but also do and talk about uh, really important topics at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the characters are so recognisable. They're instantly recognisable. Um, and, and that, but also they sort of look like cartoons. That must be a, a really difficult balance to strike. I mean, what process do you go through to ensure that they're comedic but also being true to form? Um, yeah, so that's full credit to our, um, to our designers, really, um, who coincidentally are, are two very left-leaning gentlemen. Um, based here in Melbourne in the danger zone. Um, mm. So they, they'll, they'll often get a pitch. So sometimes it might be, oh, we're going to do Clive Palmer and we do him as Jabba the Hutt or it might be Jackie <laughs> Lamy and we're going to make her look a little dishevelled. Um, and then sometimes you've got tough ones like Matt Canavan. What do you do for Matt Canavan? We typically pick like uh, one particular feature to, to highlight, say like the forehead on Canavan is enormous. So we'll, we'll pick mm. something like that. Um, but then, of course, you've got to you've got to toe that line as well. Between you don't want to be like that guy that sits at the end of the pier along the beach that just draws everyone with big noses and just picks out the one characteristic. You also need it to be somewhat grounded um, and not too silly. Um, and we so the, the guys do that with the character design, and then I'll typically uh, do a lot of the voices, often poorly. Mm. And um, <laughs> typically, if, you, if I'm doing a if I'm doing a poor voice for you, it's it's almost uh, it's almost just as offensive as if I do a perfect impersonation of you. Um, so that's how we tend to we try and try and build a whole little world. But at the end of the day, we try and keep them grounded in reality as best as possible. Because at the end of the day, half of these people are clowns, yeah. um, and they're, they they're their own characters anyway. It's hilarious. Well, which which voices do you do? I'm, I'm listening to you speaking. I'm like, oh, is that Albo? Is that you know? Which ones do you? Yeah. Do? So oh, I'll, you do out of those. sheer necessity, I so I do I do a majority of the voices out of sheer necessity, just because <laughs> um, you can't really find people in the arts to want to do this sort of stuff. So you know, oh, of course I'll do Albo's voice, which is really just—it's not even his voice; it's just an awful voice. 
And then, of course, first season I was doing ScoMo, which was just my, my voice anyway. Um, one of my favourites is, is uh, yeah, well, you know, Bob <laughs> I love him. Um, and I love doing that. And, of course, Adam Bant, who actually just coincidentally is about 200 metres down the road. Oh, gosh. Um, so we, we'll typically just do – well, I'll typically do all the voices myself um, and then for the female voices – uh, we'll bring someone in, except if we're doing Lydia Thorpe or something like that, that mm. I can easily carry it because we need to, it's basically just screening. Yes. Or Penny Wong. I've noticed that it seems to be a gentleman who always does Penny. Is that you? Yes, that's <laughs> me. That's as, de- that's as deep as I can go. The deepest voice I can do is Penny Wong's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That is hysterical. Honestly, I, I just think animation is so clever and when it's used for satire, um, it's it's particularly Clever. Now, uh, now, look, you must run into an absolute legal minefield when it comes to this series. I'd imagine everything from defamation to trying not to run afoul of the Human Rights Commission. Um, how do you manage that? Like, that, that must be a qu- quite a difficult balance to strike. It is, and it's, it's, it's typically it's, a, it's something that no matter where you are in politics, and we work with the, the, the staff at One Nation quite a lot with that, with James and, and Sean and Pauline herself, because uh, they're constantly jumping over, over legal minefields. But um, that, that little, what is it here, just here, the, the law degree that I've got there is uh, I actually only practised for six and a half weeks in professional practice before <laughs> I want to jump out the window. Mm. So if anything, doing this cartoon, I've gotten more use out of that law degree um, doing this cartoon than I, than I ever did in, in professional practice. It was, it was quite a boring, morally repugnant job anyway, uh, working in law. I didn't like it, but I much prefer putting it into practice for these cartoons, definitely. Mm. Um, and we saw that play out with this week's uh, episode about um, Giggle v Tickle. Obviously, we wanted to cover that, that story and the, one of the characters that we we're potentially going to be talking about is a is highly litigious. So it's um, you've got to be careful and making sure that you, you do things the right way. We don't have a, um, a protection of, of satire here in Australia at all. Oh. Um, it's only in common law, which means you have to go to court to, to exercise that. So if you do get yourself into any trouble or if you want to play a truth defence uh, when it comes to defamation, you've actually got to go to court for that, which for me, um, that, w- that would absolutely bankrupt me. I don't mm. want to let that known too, too far and wide because they'll come after us. But mm. um, we do try and make sure that uh, um, we, we don't get ourselves into too many problems. And at the end of the day, it, it is a cartoon. So if someone as important as a politician gets too upset about it, well, that seems a bit silly on their end. Yeah, it's it's a bit like when I think Meghan and Harry were rumoured to be sort of upset about the South Park episode, that that, Parry, that was the rumour that they were very upset about it. And I imagine probably Meghan wasn't happy, but people were like, guys, it's a, it's a cartoon, you know. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think, isn't it one of the great, don't you think it's one of actually the greatest compliments ever if you're a public figure really to be an object of satire? Exactly. And to be honest, so James and I, uh, he took me on a bit of a tour of, of Parliament House one day and the number of politicians that came up to us once we found, once he, once they found out I, I made the cartoons, um, they came up and like, please put me in it, please. <laughs> uh, these people are sick, Daisy. They're absolutely sick. They want to be in the cartoon. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're crazy people. So um, now we're very selective about whether you get in it or not. You kind of have to stick your neck out. Um, but there's a lot of conservative politicians as well that were like, please mm. put us in the cartoon. I was like, you've got to do something silly to get in there. You've got to start stuffing up before we put you in there then. 
<laughs> oh my oh my god no i can't imagine a lot of those politicians actually they might maybe they'd publicly protest being in the cartoon but i think that i think albo for instance is probably secretly quite chuffed that you do <laughs> series of, of um, cartoons. Have you ever, has he ever approached you or spoken to you about it? Uh, no, no, but we have heard that, um, that, that not only he, but a lot of the staff do. We know that ScoMo, so I, I went over to the ARC conference over in the UK recently. Oh, yes. Um, so I got to run into a bunch of, bunch of pollies over there, um, including Scott Morrison, who we, we weren't particularly kind to in season <laughs> one, uh, to be fair, when he was, when he was, when he was prime minister, but he saw the funny side of it. Um, and he, you know, he's a big fan of satire. Like I said, these people are sick, so they love they love the coverage, whatever it is. Mm, yes, any publicity is good publicity. I'd imagine that's sort of the principle. Exactly. I love that bit in the in the first episode. I played it in the introduction, which is goes Scomo, Scomo, Scomo. You know, and it, with the with the Hawaiian thing, which was of course is nodding to that. Yeah, there it is on the screen now, um, nodding to that. Um, infamous holiday that he took to Hawaii, which was unfortunately very, very poor optics. But, you know, it's stuff that it's stuff that people remember. Um, look, what I want to know, actually, is this trope that we're seeing, we just saw on the screen and I played in my intro of Pauline Hansen as like the teacher figure. Um, how, who just, how did you come up with that? So that was we 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 were just talking about what's the best way to to, to do the show as a as a blending of, of satire and education and that lent itself to a to a classroom and I remember when I was a kid I went to the state parliament here in Victoria and I couldn't believe just how childish it really was watching <laughs> Question Time like I was watching it and thinking this reminds me of school and everyone's like oh Mr Speaker and they're all saying it just felt like a classroom so it did feel particularly conducive for it and. Um, if, if the left were going to be making a cartoon like this and they were going to be and they have all these unruly politicians, they would put Pauline as the teacher at the front as well because it, it would seem ironic in their world. Mm. Um, and it certainly started that way for us. But then as you get to know her as well, she's, she's almost like an encyclopedia. Mm. Um, and most of the conversations I have with Pauline are basically me just going, really? Yeah. Is that right? And then you look <laughs> it up and it's 100% correct. Mm. Um, you know, she's pulled references out. She's like page 13 of this particular book. And then we'll go and look it up and yeah, she's a hundred percent right. Mm. Um, so it's been a, it's been a huge learning. It, uh, it's been an education for us, but, um, yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's not that far from the, from the actual truth and reality at mm. the moment. You've got all of these idiots running around being, um, clowns in the classroom. And the only person who's sensible and, and actually makes a bit of sense is Pauline Hanson. Mm. Well, that really is is true. I mean, Pauline Hanson is a phenomenal human being and it, it's atrocious that she gets lied about so much in the media because she's, you know, generous to a fault and, and incredibly intelligent, as as you say. So I love, love seeing her out the front as a teacher because she is. She is sort of the only one who makes sense. And I, I agree with you about um, Question Time and, and the classroom. I mean, I, I, I watch it sometimes and I see Milton Dick, the speaker, he's like, people on the right, people to the right, it's far too noisy. And it's far too noisy. You need to be quiet. I can barely hear the question. Yeah, I know. And that's <laughs> that's what he sounds like. So no, God, I'm raving, but I lo I love that classroom motif. And look, tell me, does Pauline Hanson? She must. She does her own voice, does she, on the cartoon? She does indeed. Yeah, mm. full credit to her. Like, uh, it, it's certainly not something she was comfortable with at the start. Not overly comfortable. Um, but she's she's adapted to the to the job. It's it's a lot harder than it looks to do voice acting. You have to be quite silly, which mm. is not something that 
is um, often begged of Pauline Hanson to be to be silly, um, and it's it's not something that's probably in her comfort zone either. But she's uh, she's stepped up, and you and you often see it when we get guest guest characters in or people to come in and do guest voices. They they think it's going to be uh, easy, but um, it's really it's really not. So Pauline is we we barely it, at the beginning. We, we used to have to do quite a few takes, um, but now she she absolutely nails it. She's she's got a career in voice acting if she really wants it after politics. <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that she does her own voice because she has a really distinct way of speaking as well. So I'd imagine it'd actually be pretty hard to get someone um, to emulate that. Um, now you obviously are, are covering it's satire, but you're also covering news stories as well. Um, how do you decide which national issues to tackle with each episode? So we, we have a weekly meeting with um, with James Ashby and Sean and Pauline will often jump in them in them as well, um, and we we cover off from anything from what we think's coming down the line legislatively, or what's going to come down, what's coming up in the in the future, or what's just happened. Sometimes we hear about stories that are happening in Parliament, which we, like are similar to almost like you know if you had an office job, it'd be like oh Katie cooked a uh, a massa man curry in the in the staff room. So sometimes it's a bit inside baseball, inside politics, but mm. we can put those in the cartoon. But typically it comes from um, covering off the media, what's coming off, um, you know, what's coming down the line for, for legislation. And then we, because um, I, I obviously don't know any of these politicians, so I only I only know what comes from the media. So a lot of the times my, my questions are like, what's he like in real life? You know, what's, <laughs> what's a secret we, we, can, we can put in there? What's a little hint? And oftentimes I'm pretty sure they watch it and they go, how did they know that? <laughs> Um, and it might not even be publicly known, but at least we're, we're just letting them know, giving them a little tickle, just like, we know, we, we know. We know, we know it goes on. Oh, my God, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and look, um, before, before we go, what's the ultimate goal of the Please Explain series? I mean, in my introduction, I talk about how what I love what you're doing because it's conservatives creating culture, which the left has such a monopoly on. Um, you know, what, is that your goal, to create culture from a conservative perspective? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's a good point, um, and it's... it's uh, Sometimes I get myself like a little, a little uh, wound down, particularly when you're surrounding me. I don't know how you do, you do it personally. It's like you're constantly surrounded by this media. You must look at it and go, man, this country's screwed. Yeah. Like everything's screwed. <laughs> the, the economy's screwed. The government's stuffed. This is stuffed. Everyone's struggling. People are, people are dying in the street. It must be tough. And so I do get into that headspace where I'm like, geez, the world's, it's all, it's all screwed. It's all stuffed. Um, mm. And then what this series has allowed me to do is go, well, where's the silly side of it? Um, and where's the funny side of it? How can we make fun of it? And how can that also be um, educational and how can that break through? And, and really the goal is it's just made politics more accessible for mm. people of all ages, um, whether you've been in politics for a long time and this is something different for you or whether you're just you're, you're the child that's been sitting at the, at the dinner table and told not to talk about politics and just been prescribed your ideology from mm. school or from educational systems, wherever it might be. It's just a way to talk about it. And, and um, I, my, my heart is always warmed when I read comments in the, in the comments section on YouTube or wherever that mm. say we sit there and watch it as a family or I sit oh. there and watch it with my kids because politics is one of those things. It's almost like a dirty word. It's, yeah. it's considered boring or we don't want to talk about it or it's far too complicated. So if we can make it more accessible, albeit in a silly way so we can have more serious conversations about it. That's mission accomplished from my perspective. Mm, and I think that is, is such a, a terrific goal to make politics um, 
more accessible because it is largely um, inaccessible and depressing. So, yeah, this is exactly, I think, what the nation needs. Now, Mark, uh, tell everyone, we've been talking about this wonderful series, where can they watch it? Well, we, we actually we, we do a different we do a different thing to a lot of other people. We don't we don't try and um, get a monopoly on one particular platform, but we are on YouTube, X, or the old Twitter, mm. um, Instagram. We even throw it out on TikTok. We don't try and get all the views in one spot, um, you know, because the episodes are sort of range between sort of five to eight hundred thousand a week, um, but not all on just one platform. So yeah, YouTube, mm. X, Instagram, wherever it is, Pauline Hanson's, uh, please explain. Go and check it out. Mm, and I understand that the the One Nation, if you really want to support the series, the One Nation merch store um, helps to support it, doesn't it? It does, and that was um, and that, that's been a that's been a key for us in this season two as well. James, when he called me up and said, "Do you want to do a season two? We're thinking about doing it this way, which is basically crowdfunded and and using um, and fundraising the the series and." That inspires me more than anything because it's, it becomes the people's cartoon. Yeah. The cartoon literally only survives for as long as people um, support it. And uh, when that day comes that they don't want to support it anymore, that's the day that, that, that the cartoon stops. But in the interim, yeah, we've got uh, which way? Which way? Uh, calendars, we've got um, mm. bottles of rum, bottles of gin for Christmas. The calendars are actually a heap of fun. Um, and if, if the series does continue for, for years to come, I think that'll be a yearly thing that we keep doing. But that merch store... Um, they, we just do some really fun stuff from stickers. Um, we've got playing cards coming up as oh, well. So cool. we've got, you know, with Joker cards, it's, it's a real, it's a real hoot. And I think it's, it's fun because you don't actually see that in politics, uh, mm. anywhere as people and making fun of themselves typically as well. So there's heaps of merch coming, which all supports the cartoon. And like I said, that's the people's cartoon. And when that stops, that's the, that's the time when the mm. cartoon stops. So if you if you do enjoy the cartoon, that support literally means the world to us. Well, that is fantastic to know. Um, I think I will certainly be investing in one of those calendars. Uh, Mark Nicholson, wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on and have a very, very Merry Christmas. You too. Thanks, Daisy. Appreciate that. Well, that's all we have time for tonight on Daisy Cousins Presents. Thanks so much to Ariel and Mark and to everyone who made this show possible. I hope you all have a wonderfully happy, healthy and holy Christmas and a special New Year's celebrations. Good night, world. I'll see you in 2024.